What's new listeners, I'm Arthur Howell, host of Two Cents Critic. If you want to move for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the 2015 psychological stalker thriller to gift. Hanging out with me for that deep dive is Pearl Lipset, co-host of two podcasts, Girls Horror Queers, which takes a look at horror through a queer perspective, and Halo and Cassis and Harry and Star, which covers young adult literature, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. Say hello, Joe. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Yeah, I, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast, and it's going to be really, really exciting to have you to discuss to discuss Gift, which I had not seen in, in, in a while. It's oh. been a few years. Yeah, I think I first saw this maybe when it hit video. I don't think I went to the theater for this because I wasn't exactly sure of the quality. But um, yeah, it was a wild ride to revisit. Yes, it was a wild ride for me as well. Again, a few years ago, we saw this and I, I, I loved it back when I uh, first saw it. Not perfect. So I, I was like, oh, I do have maybe like, a, you know, an issue here which you know we'll get into mm-hmm. that when we're discussing it but so it was, it was interesting to rewatch it knowing everything that's going to happen and be able to see process it in, in this day and age and the movie before we get into our general thoughts and feelings i'll give a bit of you know, trivia about the movie which is that this was written co-produced and directed by Noel edgerton and his feature directorial debut who is also one of the three stars of the movie along with nathan bateman and Rebecca Hall. So the budget for this was $5 million, and the box office was $43.8 million in North America and $15.2 million around the world for a global total of either $59 or $60 million. I've seen like between those two numbers. And this was, an, and also when this movie, it was originally going to be called Weirdo at first, but then the executives were like, let's change the name to the gift. And that way, the marketing around it can be a bit more strategic. And all right, so to get our general thoughts and feelings on the movie, Joe, what do you think of this soccer thriller movie? Oh boy, yeah. When I posted that I was watching this, I saw a bunch of people just kind of immediately respond like, "Oh, this movie has seared itself on my brain." You know, they. I think people had really strong reactions to it. And I definitely felt that on this most recent rewatch. Yeah, it's one of those really dark thrillers that you don't realize how dark it is until you get near the end. And it's twisty, it's turny, but it is surprisingly adult as well. So I appreciated that. Yes, yes, definitely. And I should also add for for any listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with this, because I feel like this movie is definitely one of the like, it's not as popular as other thrillers out there. Apparently, one of those smaller movies. So, I should also know that basically it follows a couple played by Rebecca Hall and Jason Bateman. And they're this married couple. They just moved to Los, Los Angeles and they end up being approached by this other by this new guy, uh, Gordo, played by Joel Edgerton, who is apparently, yeah, he, he, went to, he went to high school with uh, Simon, Jason Bateman's character. And then there's this whole dynamic between the two of them as uh, Gordo continues to approach them and give gifts, which is why, you know, the movie is called Gifts. He keeps giving gifts of any kind. <laughs> and it follows that dynamic. And you're like, okay, 
how is this gonna unfold? What is Guado? What are his motivations here? So that is what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering. So this was not your first time watching this. Uh, yeah. Do you remember how you felt the first time you saw it? When I first saw it, it was it, it was a movie that kind of saw me. Trust my side. It, it's a, it's a slow burn thriller. It reeled me in with the pacing. I thought it was well paced and a lot of performances. And then when it gets to the ending, I was it was like it was chilling when I first saw that. It definitely right. I out of all of the thrillers I've seen. Especially as I'm diving, I feel like I'm coming more of a cinephile as of late, diving into more movies as of late. This is a movie that has continued to stuck with me, even at, so I saw it, like, you know, years ago, maybe like, well, like two or three years ago. Not, not that far away, but still. And it, it stuck with me, with my brain. Just how, like you were saying, dark it gets in the end. And on this rewatch, I'm having that same experience. You know, again, even though I knew what was going to happen, once that ending mm-hmm. hits, and it's like, Oh shit! We are getting to this yes. point. Yeah, it it's deeply messed up, and it it almost is enough of a twist to make you want to go back and just kind of watch it again to see if you can pick up signs. Like, I actually think that it's a very cleverly made film. Like Joel Edgerton did a really good job when he was writing the screenplay to put in enough little signposts that if you're paying attention, you will you will be able to spot things as they're happening. But I feel like on a first time watch, you're mostly just trying to figure out, okay, what is Gordo's deal? Like, is he the threat? And then the movie switches paces around the midway point and you suddenly realize, oh, we're being played with, like, I really don't know who I'm supposed to root for and who is the bad guy yes. anymore. Exactly. And speaking of the screenplay, uh, Edgerton actually said that the inspirations for his screenplay included Alfred Hitchcock, Fatal Attraction, to Michael Haneke film Cache, and Hong mm-hmm. Chan Wook's uh, Vengeance Trilogy. Okay, yeah, that all tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oof, that's quite material to draw from for this movie. <laughs> which, yeah, that's some pretty messed up material. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just, I was just thinking, old boy, like you know, oof, old boy is a, not as a mm-hmm. movie that has stuck with me and. <sighs> yeah. Uh, going back to the gifts, I also think that this is a, a movie that is driven by performances. Like these are all strong performances from the whole oh, show. For sure. From Bateman, Hall, Edgerton. And I gotta say, I'm I'm a little more biased personally towards Rebecca Hall. Like I just personally like, really love her performances. Mm-hmm. She's just amazing. I I wish that she could have, you know, won an Oscar by now. Right. <laughs> She, it's her and Tony Collette, I realize, because I'm, I'm always up there kind of like yes. stumping for Tony Collette in movies like The Sixth Sense and Hereditary. But watching Rebecca Hall, I was like, oh, yeah, she's fantastic in this. She's fantastic in The Night House. She's fantastic yes. in Resurrection. Yes. She's really is like a, a genre queen and she's not being recognized for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, also, it also doesn't help that. You know, horror does tend to, you know, it, it is it is can be dismissed. You know, especially at, at the Oscars. I mean, talk about the Oscars, like, oh, the Oscars don't give a crap about horror. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Rebecca Hall, and also funny that you brought up Tony Collette because I actually just saw Hereditary, which I loved. Oh, and, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, for the first time, <laughs> it was wow. Again, another movie that's gonna stick with me for a while. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's another one that you can go back and rewatch about a billion times and pick up something new every time. Yes. And then Jason Bateman, also his performance, which is also amazing. Don't want to get too deep into like the particulars of mm-hmm. how his character played out in the movie, but it's like, you know, like it's it's very interesting to watch him in the movie. And it's Will Edgerton. And just the way they're able to layer the characters, get the asking questions about the characters. I would say particularly for uh, Simon and Gordo in the movie. He's asking some questions here. Like, what's, what's, what's really going on? Yeah, I, I think that's why I that's why I ended up using the word adult to describe this is because really we're talking about a film that is more or less interested only in three characters. And they're complicated, they're nuanced, they have unusual motivations and backstories that requires a lot of unpacking. And it it was interesting to see some of the reviews call this film like, oh, it descends into soap opera, or it becomes ridiculous. And I mean, we'll get there when we want to talk about spoilers. But I think at the end of the day, I, I don't entirely agree with those claims, because I find that these three performances are so astute and like very well grounded like even when the movie does get a little ridiculous we can always fall back on how good and assured these performances are yes yes and i will say though my only major criticism for the movie is Mm -hmm. for the third act which without giving away spoilers heads in a direction that i feel like takes away agency from a certain character yes and Mm -hmm. it's and it feels like a portrayal of that character who's been set up as doing a lot of crap in the movie and trying to explore mm. the plot, find out secrets. And it just it feels like a portrayal towards that character at the end to have the third act unfold in that fashion. That's my only major... Yeah, I, I can see that. It, it's definitely a movie where you think it's all about Rebecca Hall's Robin, and then at the end of it you realize, oh, maybe it's more about the two men. And that... That can be disappointing. Yeah, yeah but aside from that, I mean, this is a movie that, you know, it's still, again, it's, it's going to continue sticking with me. I feel like in the future, like, if I were to rewatch it, I mean, I, I probably will rewatch in the future. Like, it is, like, it does have that pull and enough, mm-hmm. enough detail where you can pick it up again on future on rewatches. But it's also not a movie where you're like, oh, I want to watch this every day. No. You're like, okay, no. I need to take a breather, maybe a bath, maybe maybe find some sunshine because exactly. this is dark. Yeah, yeah. Go out, you know, get some relaxation, maybe watch a few happy mm-hmm. movies, you know, maybe watch something, right, something, yeah. something lighter, you know, maybe something like, I don't know, like 10 things ahead about you, you know, something more bulky. Right. <laughs> something real light and fluffy just to really, you know, un- unpack, unsettle yourself. Yes. But now we can, we've given our general thoughts and feelings on the movie, so now we can present our wind-up scores for the gift, which uh, this ranges from 0 to 100. So, Joe, what is your wind-up score? So I ended up defaulting to my letterbox score for this. The first time I watched this movie, I gave it a 4. This time around, I gave it a 4.5. So if we extrapolate that out, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to give this an 85. I I agree with you that I think there's some problems with it. But overall, I actually found this really competent and, as I said, assured. So I I think there's enough rewatchability. The performances are really good. It's really well directed by Joel Edgerton. So I think that this is a really strong film. Definitely. 
as for me, I so I I didn't have that box when I first uh, saw this movie years ago, and then but now I have it now. Okay. I think back. I think honestly, back then I probably would have given this maybe. I, I probably would have. I probably would have given this a four and a half stars back that back then. I think I was mm-hmm. a little less a little, a little less critical of the movies I was watching, a little more accepting. I feel like now I'm I'm, I'm a little harder now, a little more critic. So okay. when I rated it this time. I gave it four stars on the box. So now, when it comes to the, to the actual numbers, like to, to, to the wind-up score, I'm going to go for 82 out of 100. Just to okay. point. Okay, that's still really good. Definitely very good. I've heard you give way harsher scores to other films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for the gifts, as you were saying, yeah, excellently directed, written, or pays to show, you know, it's even got a, it's got a couple jump scares in the movie, which I remember, the, I remember the jump scares, and even then, when they came, I was like, oh, okay. Still good. It still gets you. And the, the details, you know, in the screenplay, the performances, again, it is just like this, that third act, the way it unfolds, but like, eh, it leaves me feeling to gripes over it, but, you know, this is a strong movie, you know. Yeah, I think if if people have an issue with this film, it's almost inevitably going to be the last act and it's either going to work for you or you're going to pull back and say like, no, it just it's not doing the thing that I thought it was going to do. Yeah, definitely. But the gifts, again, overall strong movie and something that, you know, if I were to make a list of thrillers, it's like a psychological thrillers, I'd probably, I'd probably mm-hmm. put this up, you know, pretty high on there. Again, right. it's memorable. Well, now we've given our wind-up scores for the gift, so we're going to head on into spoiler country. So listeners, if you don't want spoilers, you should just, you know, turn off the episode and you can go, go, watch, <laughs> go watch the movie. It is currently on Netflix, as of this recording. As of this recording, it's on Netflix in the US, so, you know, go watch it. However, if you have seen it already... You can stay here, or if you haven't seen it, but you're okay with spoilers, then you can also stay right here. But I would really recommend watching it. Alright, so, the gifts. Just by the way, I, I forgot that this was a Blumhouse movie, so when, so when like, you know, the Blumhouse production comes up at the beginning, that just surprised me. Totally forgot. Totally forgot. I was like, oh, okay, this this almost seems more mature than what I'd expect from them. But then you realize, oh, all of Jordan Peele's films are also Blumhouse films. Correct. And we're getting introduced to this married couple, Simon and Robin Callum, who are uh, who have just moved to this Los Angeles suburb. They came from Chicago. They're looking at this house. And right in the beginning, we get the sense that, you know, this is a pretty normal seeming couple, you know. They just, you know, again, moved from Chicago. They seem pretty loving. They're just looking to settle down. And it's also mentioned pretty early on in the movie that, you know, like, that, you know they're hoping to have children. And they've had issues with that in the past. Yeah, it's very much laying the foundation for, oh, are they trying? Or have they had uh, some kind of miscarriage? Or, like... Why have they really come to Los Angeles? Is it because it's a promising new opportunity for them, or are they trying to leave something behind in Chicago? Yes. And then Simon and Robin were out shopping when Gordon Mosley, or Gordo for short, he approaches Simon, and Simon doesn't recognize him at first. But then the nickname Gordo, it seems to kickstart his memory. (laughs) 
I mean, this is really our our first sign. I'm I'm I found this very relatable because I actually have a lot of difficulty. I can recognize faces, but not names all the time. But at the same time, you can tell that Simon, like, there's just something about the way he's treating Gordo. You're just like, oh, you're kind of a dick, aren't you? Yeah. There's a tension between them. It is palpable. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be polite. Yeah. Really. Yes. Oh, I mean, th- this in a way is a thriller that only exists because people keep trying to be polite about things as opposed to just saying what they really want to say. With a mind to be, oh, speaking of evil. With. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a harder watch. <laughs> we're just bringing up so many movies that I'm just like, oh, you're memorable for we're giving people a list if you like this movie maybe try that movie and by this point it's also been mentioned a couple times that they're now living in a place just close to the spot where simon had been raised as well Mm -hmm. which you know we'll get into you know the childhood later even when simon and robin when they leave the store uh simon expresses also he it's always about about that like being dismayed over that encounter. You also realize in this scene that Gordo has been listening when they give the address of their new home to the yes. clerk. And you're like, it, to me, it's a little bit dumb of them when the first gift shows up and they say, oh, I wonder how he knew where we lived. It's like, come on, folks. You, you got to pick this up faster. Yeah. You're living in a thriller right now. Yeah. They don't know that, do they? They don't know it. <laughs> and then Robin meets a couple of the neighbors, one of whom, Lucy, is played by Addison Tolman, who... Actually, right? I know, like, also, like, she starred in a horror show that I actually recently watched, uh, Return to Sender. That's what I actually why I recognized her from. Okay, I know her from Fargo season one. Okay, okay, I so. And then Robin takes a shower, foreshadowing for later on. Mm-hmm. And then she finds a bottle of wine that's on, out on the front step that's been sent over by Guero. And this is this is where she asked Simon, like, "Hey, how how did you get out of gas?" And and Simon is mm-hmm. like, "I don't know, I have no idea." I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then Robin is spending time with Lucy, and this is where, as I said before, the she wants a kid. She had actually gotten pregnant in Chicago, but it wasn't a happy ending. Again, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, what's happening here? I was surprised at how quickly this comes out, but it does feel natural. Like this is very clearly character backstory exposition. But it still kind of unfurls naturally because Lucy has a kid and that's the nature of their relationship. So I didn't mind that. Yeah, I was okay with that too. Like, they're getting to know each other, just offering up information you know, mm-hmm. as they're making friends. And then Guado shows up at the house and he, apparently he's been, he's been courteous. Apparently he's got some numbers for like, you know, plumbers, maids, gardeners, even has like glass cleaner. <laughs> Oh, but there's there's red flags here immediately, right? Like you you can tell that she feels slightly uncomfortable, but he waits her out to make sure that he gets the invite into the house. Yes. Like she doesn't want to, but he's so calm and patient that she feels like she needs to because he isn't leaving. Exactly, and, and he's also being like, "Oh, I love this architecture of the house." So it's like he's, mm-hmm. he's also like bringing bringing conversation around into the house, right. making a flow a, a smooth flow to oh, I can't come in or you know. She has no choice. She has to. <laughs> and and also again, performances. It it, it is powerful. Mm-hmm. Like you know, kind of these pretty restrained performances. Well, again, as we were saying before, it all depends on being polite. And also credit to Rebecca right. Paul in particular because I feel like she also does a really good job at 
presenting the micro gestures and mm-hmm. just like make it, making it clear what her character is feeling when Robin is feeling in these uncomfortable situations which is yep. having to interact with Simon and, and, and Grotto and trying to be like, okay, what's going on with you two? Well, she's she's trying to figure it out, but she's also playing the mediator. Like, especially at this dinner, there's so many. Like, if you're not a fan of awkward or, like, tension in films between characters, this movie is going to be a bit of a rough go for you, particularly yeah. in this first act, right? Because it is all her having to negotiate between these two men, but also she doesn't know what they know, and we don't know what they know because, of course, we're very much... Like, she's our kind of audience proxy, right? Yeah. So, yeah, just, it's a lot of, ooh, what is, what is happening here? I feel bad for her. Also, on the tour that uh, she gives Gordo of the house, we, we, there's this monkey toy that we see mm-hmm. that leads into Robin of yelling, oh, like, Simon has a monkey phobia from when he was a kid, which becomes... Yep, store that in your back pocket. That'll come back. And later, <laughs> yes. And you also have a dog as well, Mr. Bojangles, mm-hmm. Bojangles for short. Aww. Put a good dog in Jeopardy, this movie. <laughs> yep. And then Robin offers to let Gordo stay for dinner. Again, the pitfalls of politeness, you know. Mm-hmm. Cut to the dinner itself, where we learn Simon hasn't kept in contact with anyone from high school. Which is another, like, though. It's very telling. Sp- suspicious detail. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. why is that? Did you, did you get into contact with anyone here, particularly Gordo? But it's also relatable, right? Like, you know, I'm one of the people who tried to cut ties with people because I didn't have a good experience in high school. And, you know, spoiler, Gordo was bullied by Simon. So obviously Simon is not in the habit of keeping in touch with a bunch of people. But, you know, in this early stage before we know who Simon really is, I totally related to that. I was like, yeah, when I left high school, I cut ties with everybody. I didn't want to be associated with them anymore. Yes, yes. Uh, also, I find it ironic that Simon works for a security systems company, and mm-hmm. this is kind of like mm-hmm. security, stalking, spying, you know, it's all, oh, yeah. it's all part of the yeah, movie. It, it, it's a really well-laid thing, because, you know, sometimes you're like, ah, characters' jobs, they don't really matter. Like, her job as an architect is kind of, you know, half, it doesn't really matter all that much. But his, it's like, oh, that's how he gets all the files later. Yes. Oh, I get it. Yes. And Gordo is also like, I don't care. I don't care for the government spying on us. Like, you know, the hell with mm-hmm. that. And he mentions the military. So you're like, oh, yeah. this guy could be dangerous because he's done a couple of tours. And then we learn Simon has been class president. And his whole campaign was based on the game Simon Says. So we like, you know, Simon says, do this. Simon says, do that. And it would get done. Mm-hmm. Which is, Simon has control issues. <laughs> another clue. It's like, oh, he, mm-hmm. he likes to have the power in, in his yeah. hand over other people. Yeah, just like everything about this first dinner conversation, everything is an important piece for the plot. Like it will all come back later. Even when Gordo at dinner, he's like, the bad things that happen to us can be a gift. Uh, uh, you know, a reference to the gift movie title, the gift, and his, yep. what, the many gifts that Gordo gives. Holy shit. Here we go. Here we go. After the dinner, Simon says he feels bad for Gordo because he, he's like, oh, he hasn't changed since high school. He's socially awkward. And Robin is more, more it's clearly more accepting of Gordo. She's mm-hmm. being a lot, a lot more lenient. Like, hey, you know, you know, they're socially clumsy. 
you know, some people just like drags. Yeah. I mean, this is very telling about Robin. Clearly, this was not the best dinner for her. Like the the point where all the, the talk about maybe they're going to start a family, it's clearly uncomfortable for her. And yet she's still willing to give this guy the benefit of a doubt. And, you know, to appease her husband, she says, well, you know, if it's not, if you don't want to see him again, we don't have to. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's also, uh, and then Simon and Robin uh, go to a work party with Simon's firm. I feel like one of the, maybe one of the few, like maybe more thriller scenes in the movie, I don't know about you, but the mm-hmm. work party was like, I guess it's meant to connect us with like, oh, this is a workspace. And also mm-hmm. Simon and Robin, they go up to his office and he's talking about, the, you know, the, the, the two brothers, who are like the owners of the company. Yeah, I, I think it gives us a little bit of insight into Simon and how he feels like he's getting old and maybe losing some of his control. But I, I do agree with you. This feels a little unimportant. Like their their conversation in his office is important, but the stuff with like the other people in the office, you know, I thought, oh, hey, there's Desi Phillips. But apart from that, meh. Yeah, also, I was I, I, I forgot she was in the movie, so that was surprising. Right? <laughs> Yeah, but I I feel like the, like the other scenes with like the coworkers, like friends stuff, like it, they're, they're more integral to plot than this than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like they these characters do show up a little bit later when Simon gets his promotion and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, are they super important to the plot? Nah, not really. Yeah. Then Simon and Robin come back home to find Eduardo has delivered fish food and koi fish for their little fish pond mm-hmm. set up outside the house. Uh, let's not forget to note, Gordo also writes smiley faces on his notes. Right. And sometimes sad faces. Yeah. Simon says that uh, Gordo has a nickname, Gordo the Weirdo, back in high school. And then his nickname, Simon's nickname, was Simple Simon. And in this scene, an important moment where Simon crosses out Gordo on the whiteboard on the fridge and writes Weirdo above it. <laughs> yep. Simon. It's, it's so rude, but also as soon as he does it, you think, oh shit, that's that's gonna come back to bite him in the ass for sure. Yeah. It's just it, it's also just such a casual action for him too. Mm-hmm. Like oh Yeah, like his first impulse is to demean this guy again. Yeah. Who he hasn't seen in a in a long time. So it's, it's like right away you wanna just oh that's a spike wheel I want to do. Yeah. It's another strike against Simon. Clearly not a good guy. And then Robin ends up dealing with another visit from Guado, who is at the house and he's doing stuff like he's, he's fixing the TV and he's throwing out the garbage when he sees Guado written on the whiteboard. And mm-hmm. like, there's that moment where it's like, oh, this is, that was a tense moment when he's in the kitchen and then he pauses and then just rushes out. It's really good, and I want to give Edgerton credit because I think in the hands of a lesser director or someone who doesn't trust the audience, we would get another shot of that whiteboard to be like, hey, do you remember? He wrote weirdo on this, and that's what he saw. And here it's like, no, you either remember what Simon wrote on this or you don't. Exactly, the camera just stays outside the kitchen. We just see him look at the fridge, Mm -hmm. then he just goes out, and Robin is just like, and then you see Robin, and you're like, through her, you're like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. He saw it. He saw it weirdo. I like it because it it proves that we're being trusted to keep track of this information. Then we cut to Simon and Robin having dinner with their friends and neighbors. And we're all basically like, 
nah, this guy, this guy sounds pretty sus, and so that's the invitation mm-hmm. that he offered Robin and Simon to dinner at his place. Yeah, I'm curious, would you go after all of this? Like, would you say, okay, well, let's give him another chance, or would you say, no, I'm going to politely decline? <laughs> I'm going to be honest here, I would uh-huh. I go, unfortunately. It's just that I think I would too. Because, but I, I feel like you and I are closer to Robin, where we're gonna yeah. say, okay, you know what? Let's give this person another try. We're we're believing the best in people. Maybe he's a little socially awkward. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah, I, I've been in interactions with people, both in person and online, where I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this person seems kind of like socially clumsy. But I'm just like, yeah. you know, that's just maybe that maybe that's just how they interact with people. You know, that's their thing, and yeah. you know, let's just you know, let's just keep interacting with them. Exactly. And yeah, so I would have to go into the house, unfortunately. I do like the transition when Simon after dinner with everyone. He's like, no, we're not going over there, and then it just cuts right <laughs> to Simon and Robin <laughs> driving over. Smash there. cut dinner. <laughs> Probably like one of the maybe the only comedic a comedic moment, or at least that I found to be like darkly comedic. In the movie, mm-hmm. yeah, and at the house, it's this apparently you know fancy house. It's huge, yeah, huge. And Gordo gives them a DVD of Apocalypse Now, and he's like, "Oh, it's gonna sound great on your speaker system, and like you know the helicopters, and it's gonna go from you know the, the directions like right to left." <laughs> now, this was one of the moments that I did catch on when he's offering to fetch some drinks, and he and he's like, mm-hmm. and, he, and he goes to Robin when he's offering Gatorade. Because he remembers the Gatorade that she's, I think she had it with her when she was out running the last time she visited. Right. The last time he visited. And so he remembered the Gatorade, yeah. which is important later on. Yep, because we haven't addressed it, but we're slowly learning that Robin is not only trying to get pregnant, but also that she has like a history of substance abuse. And that's kind of, that's kind of been trickled in. So she doesn't drink. But also, yeah, she is athletic. She's a runner. So she drinks Gatorade. And this reminds us that Gordo is very observant. Frighteningly observant. Suddenly, Gordo takes a phone call and claims he needs to handle a work emergency. So he just steps out. Not only just steps out of the house, but also like drives off. Mm-hmm. And yeah, fully drives off. <laughs> and, okay, now in that moment, I will. I would be like Simon. It's weird. I would be like Simon. Yeah. Because Simon is the one who was kind of like freaked out the most. Like Robin is a bit more accepting of it. Again, like again, more lenient. Mm-hmm. But Simon is the one who's like, "What the hell is he doing? He's just leaving us in the house alone?" And I would be like that, honestly. Yeah, so. I would. I mean. The interesting thing about this film is that people don't really have cell phones. Like, they kind of do, but they don't really use them. And I feel like in this situation, you would just, you know, you'd pull out your cell phone, you would just have a conversation or whatever. And instead, they decide, oh, let's go search the house. <gasps> yeah, just, yeah, peek around. Awkward. And then this is the scene where Simon starts to show his true colors and mm-hmm. how sleazy he can get. Because this is this is where yeah. it's like he is like, oh, Gordo's obsessed with you, Robin, and he gets into this thing where it's like pee pee, pleasey wheezy, and he's using his finger as like sticking it out of yeah. like the fly of his pants as like a pretend penis, and mm-hmm. and he's like and he thinks that like, Gordo is all funny for Robin, and it is yeah. gross. It's really gross, and sure. I mean, we we don't know that they're being recorded. We'll find that out later, yeah. but. Even 
this conversation, like it, it has all those telltale signs of, oh, this is going to come back. You should be careful what you're saying in other people's spaces. And I, I remember cringing when Simon does all that because it is gross, but more so where I can't remember Robin's exact line, but she says something along the lines of like, he's disgusting. And you're just like, shit, no, don't say that here. I don't, it makes me wonder, like, has Simon acted like this before? Because I just can't be the first time he's mm-hmm. acted like this. He must. It's so juvenile, right? Like, it's really, really off-putting. And it makes you wonder, oh, okay, these this isn't the happy couple that I thought in that opening scene when they're buying the house. He's he's a child, and she's kind of putting up with it. But you immediately start to think, she could do better than this guy. This guy's a bit of a jerk. Exactly. And then Simon and Robin, they're exploring the house some more, and they end up finding what looks like a kid's room. And mm-hmm. this is also what Simon is like, oh, it's monkeys, because there's like the, the, the monkey, monkey boy yep. in the room. And then Gordo comes back, and he shares a story about apparently his wife taking her kids and how I owe the money, this house, it's all hers. And Gordo is doing a good job at appearing... Mm-hmm. genuine and that was Seems sincere yep and even then though simon is just like nope we're not staying here anymore so he's like he tells robin no we gotta you know you know leave the house i'll talk with grotto for a few minutes and he he talks with with grotto and and i love how this di- the dialogue here when simon is like don't interrupt me if you, if you don't mind i'm just gonna power through this and you can talk right after okay mm-hmm. it's like i don't know if that's the exact quote but something like that it gets called back yeah Later on, at the end. It's very, very controlling. And then, you know, we we maybe expect this based on the way that Simon has been reacting to him. But then when he notices that Robin is still there, he literally orders her out of the room. And you're just like, oh, serious control issues. Yes. And then Simon is just, you know, cuts it off. It's like, no, we're not going to see each other anymore. You and I, for Simon goes out to the car with Robin, and the control that she is even continued here when Simon is just like driving out to the gate, the gate won't open, and he is just honks the horn for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Gordo finally opens the gate. And even like the score here also amps up the tension in the scene. Oh. The the score goes wild here. All of a sudden, you're reminded, oh, we're watching a thriller. Like, the movie wants us to be very concerned. It's super ominous. It's very loud, too. It is. And it's going to get like that for a few of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Simon, like, again, control issues. He just wants to get open. And then, I think some time passes, like a day or so, and then Robin finds the koi fish are dead at home. Calls out mm-hmm. Simon to alert him. When he returns... She goes on to tell him that Zangles is gone. And I was just like, Yeah. You know, I knew, I remember this, this would happen. I remember this, I knew it happened. But when it did happen, mm-hmm. I was just like, So, no, so devastated. And I'm stuck this, and I'm stuck this dog. And again, the score here is tense in this scene as well. Yes. Because now we're into proper, like, to the point where I wondered, oh, is this an erotic thriller? Because it feels like the way, you know, the the fatal attraction element is really coming into play. This is very much a slighted, jealous ex kind of move, you know? We're killing pets, we're taking pets, we're threatening the household. It's, It's very familiar territory to an 80s erotic thriller. But, you know, technically, this is between two men. So I was actually very intrigued by this point. Interesting, you know, so so now I'm like, 
I feel like this actually could be an interesting movie if you, like, to cover on horror queers, like if you're to cover it through a mm-hmm. queer perspective. Do you think that? Yeah, I, it, <laughs> I may have mentioned, I, I may have messaged Trace halfway through and was like, oh, there's enough queer elements in here that we could cover this if we wanted to. It's just super, super dark. Yes. And then Simon goes back to Gordo's house and we're expecting Gordo to be here. But then it's, 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 a, it's a woman who shows up, and then her husband, and then, and Gordo was not in the house. Nope. And then we find out when the police are called, we find out, oh, Gordo is actually a driver, like, for this couple, and he had used his access to the garage as a way to get into the house, and that's how he pretended, okay, mm. it's his house. Mm. Very shady. To complicate your issues, the detective says, oh, I can't just go into Gordo's place without a warrant, and... If I just ask Guado if he took Mr. Bojangles, he'll know who sent the detective. I really appreciated this point because it feels like normally we would just have these scenes where we would, yeah, send the police in. And for the police to say, ooh, do you really want to escalate this? Like, are you sure he took the dog? Because if we show up, he's going to know it's you. And that's only going to make things worse. Do you really want to pull this trigger? So now Robin is printing out lost dog signs, and she finds Aww. that the kitchen sink is running. And there other... Somebody's been in the house. <laughs> and there are other little signs like that. I think, like, maybe, like, hearing the footsteps. Or like, not, not in this mm-hmm. scene, maybe, but, like, in other scenes. Where, again, I'm wondering, like, hey, is someone breaking in? Is it Grotto? Well, we haven't said it. This house is, like, 80% glass, so when you're inside, you're on display. <laughs> That's why Gordo brought over the glass cleaner. He even points, he even says it. It's like, oh, I saw all the glass. Mm-hmm. I thought I might as well bring this over. Yep, we know you saw the glass, Gordo. And then Robin is with Lucy, and Robin tells her, like, oh, I've been having trouble sleeping. And then when she goes to the bathroom, she finds she finds Prozalam. Which, and I had to look to add, I had to look this up. It treats panic disorders and anxiety disorders that come from depression. Oh, okay. So this is where she gets the pills for later on, then. Yeah. And even like she wakes up in the middle of the night to take one, take one of the pills. And you know it's a bad sign. <laughs> yes. Makes you wonder, like, yeah, you know, Chicago. You know what what happened back there in Chicago? Yeah, what happened in Chicago? And then there is another scene where Robin is suspecting something and in the house and he's slowly going through it as this is happening at night and then suddenly jangle shows up blacks and like i kind of like bangs mm-hmm. against like like hops against the window and that is a jump scare that gave me a jolt again it I, got me i knew it was coming but <laughs> you know you know something is coming this got me so good like arthur i i honestly was like Whoa! I never fall for jump scares. No, seriously, like even like me, like it, I, I, I felt like the pang in my heart. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. when you, when I feel the pang in my heart, that's when I know it's like, oh, it's a jump scare. It's like, it's like a. It was, oh, it was good. I would honestly compare <laughs> it to like a creep level jump scare. Like even the, the first jump scare mm-hmm. creep. Honestly, I would compare it to that level. Right. Yeah. Now it's real good. Real, real good. Very effective. And then Robin gets an apology letter from Guado. And this is the one where he writes a sad face. And he's just like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry mm-hmm. for intruding on your lives. And then Oof. the ending of the letter is P 
PTS Simon after all the years, <laughs> I really was willing to let bygones be bygones. I had nothing but good intentions. And that's mm-hmm. just it. It is it's a it's kind of a creepy line to leave things off of. I mean, it's ominous. Yeah. yeah. But it really propels us into this next act. Like I would almost say, okay, this is kind of where the first part of the film closes, even though I think this is actually more than a third of the way through the film, but it really gives us insight into, okay, what does that line mean? And that question will propel us into the next act. Kind of go back to the shower for Robin. And this is the one mm-hmm. where she dreams about Gordo breaking in. Like she wipes the steam away right. on the shower door and grass. And so- she sees somebody there. And Gordo shows up. And that is a jump scare. It didn't, it didn't really scare me, though, I will say. And again, I knew what was happening. No. But I'm like, for some reason, like, the way it's built up doesn't really scare me as much. And again, it, mm-hmm. it's, also, it's also a dream. But I also find this to be an homage to, to the stalkers brothers of, like, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Because the rest, the rest of this movie is more grounded. It's not, like, it doesn't really go through that over-the-top tone. It's more grounded. It, even... Even the part where maybe it's like, oh, maybe it gets a little bit more ridiculous than this part, but... Yeah, I almost wonder if that's why this doesn't work as well for us, is because this does feel a little too dream sequence I mean, it is a dream sequence, but it it feels like that. Like, we can immediately tell that it's not really real. And... I, it totally yeah, it does feel a little this movie. Yeah, yeah. It it almost feels more like a studio note where somebody says, "Hey, can we introduce another jump scare because that dog one was real good." Or almost maybe, maybe even for like the trailer specifically because I remember this. This is in the trailer for the movie. Oh, this is it? Mm, jump scare. Okay. It's like right it's at the yeah. end of the trailer, so I'm like, "Oh, did you add it in specifically for that to the first motion?" I could see it. Yeah, this feels very manufactured. And then Simon is having a meeting at work with the heads of the company, and then a co-worker tells him he's up against one other colleague for the promotion, Danny McDonald. Writing down the details <laughs> for later. Remember that, that name. Not a character, but will be important. And then Robin is at home when she wonders, hey, is someone, did someone break in? Like, again, it's one of those scenes where it's like, oh yeah, what's happening here? And she spills mm-hmm. her Gatorade bottle, she's looking around the house, and then suddenly she faints. And then, like, we, don't even, we don't even see the aftermath of this. It's just like no. she faints, somebody cut to a, a scene with Robin and Simon, where they're just talking. So the way it's set up, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I specifically remember watching this the first time, and the way I took it was, oh, maybe she just fainted, and then I knew it was going to lead up to something. I don't know exactly what, but I thought maybe it was a little more innocent than what we find out happened later on. But I knew it was setting up something. Yeah, I'll admit the first time I saw it, I thought that this was a sign that she was pregnant because, you know, we usually have telltale signs for women. It's like they either faint or they say, oh, I feel nauseous or something like that. So I I definitely just thought, oh, okay, she's pregnant now, which she is just not in the way that we think. (laughs) And and again, Robin and Simon are talking and Simon... Is Simon says he'd gone to the same high school as the brothers from the, from the company, and apparently mm-hmm. he had a teacher named Doctor Elsewitz, and Simon had given a, given him a nickname, Doctor Speltovich, yeah. which has stuck apparently. And I'm like, Simon, okay, you give a lot of uh, nicknames that aren't exactly complimentary. A lot of nicknames. <laughs> You're a bit of an asshole, Simon. It's really starting to become clear. 
I also like the detail about how this nickname has stuck. Like it's it, it, mm-hmm. it's some it's an action that he's taken and it has continued to have an impact even now. Something like even yeah. so it's so small. Mm-hmm. Because we're we're learning that words and actions have a, a longevity to them. They have irreparable harm in certain cases. Then Simon reveals that he knows about the toad that Robin stole. And he's like, I saw we left all this behind in Chicago. And it's made much more explicit here that Robin has wrestled with a drug addiction in the past. Yeah. And then his argument leads into him talking about Gordo. And she's like, she's like we, we still need to take, make peace with him. What, what does bygones mm-hmm. be bygones mean? But Simon just wants to forget about this whole thing. And he, and he says, yep. time gets rid of a lot of things. It heals everything. Not for everyone, <laughs> Simon. It's so telling, right? Like, not only does he want to remain in control, but he definitely wants to control certain narratives in particular. Can we have a montage of Robin and Simon just trying to move on, live their lives, avoid looking back, mm-hmm. and Christmas time, you know, it's also part of the montage. Robin becomes pregnant. I love this. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, she is pregnant because look, she's got the baby belly. Like it, it's very smart because you don't realize that's what we're doing until you see her stomach again. Exactly. Yeah. The movie, again, does a good job of showing, not telling. Exactly. Then Robin is out shopping with Lucy when Lucy points out that some, you know, some creepy guy is spying on us. It's Gordo, but he, he leaves before Robin can catch up to him. This is another one of those things where it's like, okay, this is here because we're watching a thriller. We need to be reminded that he's still a threat. But at the end of the day, it's like, you could remove this scene. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I would say maybe maybe even the next scene was like, it's a small scene where it's just a maternity party where where Busy Phillips gives Robin a present. It kind of makes Robin pause. And I think it's because it reminds Mm -hmm. her of Guado's gift. But again, this is maybe one of the few scenes I'm like, Maybe you could cut this out as well. Yeah, it depends on how much the, the film's pacing and runtime bother you. Like, I don't think that this is an egregiously long film or, like, overly drawn out. But, yeah, there's a couple of things here where you go, hmm, I don't know if we had to have that. We could we could get rid of it, technically. Then Robin goes out for a walk with Joan, Simon's sister, who is played by Katie Atherton, who has a vocal role mm-hmm. in Creep and is married to Mark Duplass. Right. Who, yeah. you know, also, you know, Creep. <gasps> nice to actually see her in front of the camera and not just a voice on the phone. <gasps> and this is where we learn some very crucial details where Joan revealed. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Grotto had been raped by an older boy in high school, and Simon and his friend, Greg Pearson, found this happening. And they apparently stopped it. Simon reported it. And then kids have been bullying Guado for, like, you know, for being gay and right. for events. And eventually he had to transfer schools. We learn with some more details later, but right now that's all we know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's very clear that she doesn't know more than that. And she's kind of like uncomfortable to even say that much. But uh, yeah, the, the details will become more clear. And Robin is looking at Gordo's apology letter again, and she's tense when Simon comes home, and she's just also starts sticking around for some intel, sticking around in Simon's crap, and she finds that he has run a background check on both Danny McDonald and Gordo. Woof. And you find out that Gordo has been, apparently been in and out of prison for much of his life, and he has been discharged from the military. 
it's now we're like yeah. getting some more details and even and robin goes on with her investigation because then she goes to greg to a friend that Joan had mentioned earlier and shows mm-hmm. not only gordo's letter to him but also a post-it that came with the background check file and it's written with the bible verse behold he who conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood he he has dug a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made Nothing important there. And then this is when Greg reveals that apparently Gordo hadn't been molested after all. Yeah. And Robin does ask, like, wait, was Simon and the other person in the car with Gordo? But Greg is like, no, this was all just made up. Simon lied about the whole thing. And he also implies stuff happening between Gordo and his dad. Yeah, this one... I felt like we needed just another run through on this particular scene because it does feel a little too exposition heavy. And then the way it ends, it's, you know, something happened with Gordo and his dad. And then we cut to this confrontation with Simon in the kitchen. And it's like, they just tell us what happened. Like, she just comes right out with it and says, you know, he tried to kill him. He tried to burn him. And you're just like, oh, I almost wonder if we could have negotiated these two scenes a little bit more, like maybe just had her confront Simon with all this information maybe. or something. It's, it plays a little ungainly. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. definitely. But it's also like, holy shit, Simon just made up this whole thing and basically ruined this dude's life. Like it is yeah. a huge revelation. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yes. Uh, before the fight, though, there is a scene where, where Robin comes home and you find Simon chatting with one of his coworkers or Kevin who mentions that Danny McDonald is being investigated for something unspecified. But, you know, right. that is a little detail, you know. Again, all these little mm-hmm. details, you know, we're laying them down. And I love it because, like, we've never met Danny McBride, so we don't, like, if you're not paying attention, you just think, oh, it's Simon's stupid work shit. Who cares about his promotion? Uh, Danny McDonald. And... Sorry, Danny. Yeah. Here's the thing, so, so we actually did, I think he was in, in the movie earlier. It was an, that work party we mentioned. The work party we were like, oh, yes. maybe unnecessary, but he was one of the members of that work party. It's it's free, right. but yeah. he does pop up there for a bit. Which again is maybe why we had to have that scene after all. Perhaps. And then this is where Robin is confronting Simon again about Gordo's dad trying to burn him, and he was arrested for attempted murder. Gordo had been sent to military school, and then Simon. This is where he just his asshole in me just really shines through, and he is just trying so uh-huh. hard. To shift the blame away from himself, from himself, and be like, "Oh, this world is full yep. of winners and losers. You know, it's a shitty playground out there." Oh man, uh, it's like this is big, like straight man energy. <laughs> it is. I guess it's so much privilege radiating off of him, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, you know, you know, oh yes, Gordo lost. He's stuck in the past, and you know what? People don't 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 apologize for everything, and Gordo just has to suck it up." Yeah, it's very much a, I'm a winner, I excelled, why can't this person let it go, he's a loser. I find it especially malicious when Simon turns the rant around to Robin and blames her perspective Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, like how resolutely she's pursuing this and blaming all that because they're like, oh, like were you treated bad in high school while the other girls, you know, bullying you? And I was like, okay, like if you're going to talk about Gordo, that's one thing, but why... Saying like your own wife, like to to Robin, it's like mm-hmm. that was like okay, that's really mean. Like wow. Yeah, I I think it confirms to us that Simon 
isn't this isn't just about his relationship with Gordo. He will literally do this to everybody. Like he will do this to his own wife, his own pregnant wife. So it really tells you that Simon is only interested in protecting himself and he will throw anybody else away. Anyone who presents a threat to him, to toppling him off of his yes. th- off of his throne. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where Robin like sla- slaps him in the face and like that- Which I loved. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it surprised me, but I'm like, ooh, Simon, you little, little assholes. He deserved it. Yeah, definitely. But then he still wants an apology for it. I know. He was like, oh, I'll take an apology for that. And it's just like, asshole. Like, do you... I'll serve you with divorce papers. <laughs> like, do you not know when to stop? But it's also like, he doesn't. No. He's so arrogant. Like, he, he he's in a position mm-hmm. where like, like, oh, I can just act like whatever I want to. And, you know, everyone yeah. has to obey to me. Because he gets away with it, right? Like, anybody who tries to challenge him, he just steamrolls over them. So he's gotten away with this his entire life. Yeah. Which, you can also compare this to all, like, of, like the privileged assholes in the world and people in power, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh yeah, yep. they, they they have all that power as well. They get away with so much shit. Yeah. And Simon, it, when Robin is pushing him to apologize to Guado, he at first is like, I don't know where to find Guado. But Robin, that, I love when she whips out the back on check papers, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you dick weasel, you know exactly how to find Gordo if you really want to. You did a whole background check. <gasps> it's so satisfying. Between that and the slap, you're just like, oh, good scene for Robin. Yeah. Really, really good. Definitely. Later, Simon claims he found the posted on his car window after getting Gordo's letter, and that's why he got the background check. Then Simon had an attorney contact Gordo and get a restraining order. And he complained he didn't know about the crap with Gordo's dad. But Robin is like, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can believe you. You know, could all be fake. You, How would we know? Exactly. You've proven yourself to be a liar. You, you've let me believe I'm crazy. I have no idea who you really are. Which is really good. Like, I feel like this is when we're so on Robin's side, right? Because she's yes. saying all the right things, all the smart things. Simon is clearly untrustworthy and she calls him out on it. It's so satisfying. Then Simon goes to a bar where Gordo is reading out trivia questions to the crowd. Afterwards, Simon approaches him to quote unquote apologize. Simon is just like, you know, she wanted to be she wanted me to bury the hatchet. And Gordo catches on to that wording. And it's like, okay, yep. so Robin wanted you to be here. But Simon tries to yeah. back up and he's like, I wouldn't be here if I didn't want to be here. Mm. And he is just trying so hard to force his apology on Gordo. Again, it, right? control. We keep going back to the control mm-hmm. that Simon is just on keeping in his grip. I mean, it's interesting because at this point, we actually haven't seen much of Gordo in a while. Like, we've, we've been doing a lot of Simon and Robin stuff. So this is kind of his reintroduction into the film. But it's because Simon sought him out. Like, it's not as though Gordo has been doing horrible things this entire time. Like, he left them alone after they asked him to. This is Simon bringing shit back onto his doorstep. Exactly. And then Guado says the line, you're done with the past, but the past is not done with you. And that's that line. It, it came from the trailer. It's a good line. Mm-hmm. Guado is not accepting Simon's apology. So Simon is just like, hey, let's take this to some, you know, to the physical length, you know? And then he, he, he wraps yep. up Guado. Kind of pushes him over, threatens to destroy him. It becomes near Simon or his family again, kicking around uh, the papers. There's a trivia question. But, but it's important that we understand that 
this altercation is rough, but it doesn't look super bad because when Gordo does show up later on, we're like, wait, I didn't think the fight was that bad. Yeah. Which, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, but. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast Strange for History with your hosts, Brad and Alyssa. Formerly known simply as Strange History, we've had a name change due to legal reasons. But don't fret, we're still the same two weirdos who love talking about those strange, weird things that make us, us. We have so much in store for season four. And nice we, run. Thanks. And we can't wait to teach you a thing or two and maybe even learn something for ourselves. So if you want to hear us talk about Tycho... Bra. Bra. An <laughs> astronomer who had a pet moose... Or how and why Australia came to be. Or maybe you're most interested in the whole truth of the Vietnam War. Can't wait for that one. We've got all kinds of events, weird historical figures, terrible jokes, and hot takes. So come hang out with us here at Strange for History, available wherever your ears are listening. Back home, Simon goes to Robin. And he's just like, you know, I apologize. You know, he just he just seems so appreciative, you know? He's just trying to paint himself out to be the hero to Robin. Yeah, people can't see me. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm so annoyed at this character. <laughs> I can see you. Then we talk to a celebration at the Callum home in honor of Simon's new promotion. Everything everything just seems so happy. They've got to the neighbors, friends over. Everything he wants, he gets. <laughs> And then we hear a we hear like a bang, and it sounds like it's on the roof. What do you think that's how it was? And then like the tinkling of brass, and then something like I don't know if, like if it's like a brick or a rock, but like something gets thrown through the window. And yep. That and that is another jump scare that got me again. Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming. It's pretty good. I think it also helps with <laughs> the sound design as well. Like it is loud. It's the sound design, but also because there's like technically we're primed to think, okay, something's already hit the window and we'll go outside and we'll find out what it is. And then that's when the window explodes. Yes. So it's like, it's a good gotcha moment. Yes. And then and then someone attacks Simon outside when they're going outside. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, like, and obviously we're going to think, oh, this is Gordo. It's Gordo. But uh, no. It's not. <laughs> no, it is Danny McDonald. Because apparently, hey. Simon has falsified connections with Danny's old firm to get the promotion and mm-hmm. screw over Danny, and he ended up losing his, his job because of yeah. Simon. Yeah, because not even because he was a bad dude or because he did anything, because he was standing in the way of Simon's promotion. Exactly. And Simon, like, and the other, and the other people, like, there are a couple other people holding down Danny, and they're like, you want to, like, go to we can get the police here, but Simon just like, no, just mm-hmm. let him go. Because he knows he's going to get in trouble. And then Robin's water breaks, so she has to go to the hospital <laughs> and give birth to the baby. Cinematic water breaking at a convenient time. And she gives birth afterwards, you know, and this should be a, you know, a happy moment. It's like, yeah, you know, the baby's here. Mm-hmm. It's a boy, but nope, Simon gets a call from Kevin. Who informs him he's getting fired? Yay! Yay. And Kevin is mad at him. Like Kevin, Kevin was like, "Hey, I, I stuck my neck out for you." Yeah, like you fucked me over as much as you fucked yourself over. 
James Dead Woods when Simon goes back to Robin's room in the hospital and Robin is like, I don't at first she's like, I don't want to go back to that house. And then mm-hmm. she specifies, I don't want to go back to that house with you. <laughs> with you. <laughs> so it's like, it's a separation happening here that's likely, it's very uh-huh. likely heading to the worst. And it's, on the one hand, it's like, it is like devastating to watch this. Like, I don't want a divorce to happen. But on the other hand, it's like, mm. you know, it's like, Simon, yeah, you're you... such an asshole. And it's like, this is kind of like the only way it's gonna, it's gonna, things are going to turn out unless you are going to stay together in this marriage that has taken such a toxic dive. Oh, sure. And Robin knows what you're like now. She knows you're an asshole. Yes, thank God. She finally has an idea of who she has actually married. I think she even says something kind of to that effect, like she doesn't even know who he is or who she married. But I think one of the other really important things, we haven't acknowledged it because the film almost doesn't, it's so con- it's so covertly done. But in some ways, this has shifted and now it's become Simon's story. Yes. Like, basically, once we followed Simon when he confronts Gordo, it has now become his movie. And to a certain extent, Robin will now become a supporting character for the rest of the film. Exactly. And, and now that we're at the end, I guess I would say more of my, more of my thoughts on that. But again, like as I was saying before, we've been following Robin for so long. And I thought like, this movie yeah. was, it, it was, it, it's strong following her when she mm-hmm. is like, she's the investigator, the one who's trying to unearth secrets. And like, I think the third act, like, the, the, what happens in the end is still strong. Yeah, but as we're following Simon and he, when we're following it from his POV, but it, like, like I said before, it does feel like a betrayal towards Robin's character. Yes, it's it's, it's frustrating, and I, I'm trying, I'm trying to think like, is there a way to have this movie unfold from her perspective? Still, I don't, I, I don't know if it's possible though. I want there to be one. Though. I think you would have to have it that. Gordo would confide in her, but then the twist, quote unquote, doesn't really work because I think at the end of the day, the only way this ending works is if you can get some kind of emotional reaction out of Simon, but it does come at the expense of Robin, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah it it's tricky. Yeah, and, and that's why I said like you know it, it is in my only like major criticism for the movie. I think mm-hmm. that this is you know top notch. Right. So after Robin separates from Simon, he returns home to find this huge white gift box on the front step with this red mm-hmm. bow. And then we cut back to the hospital where Gordo has arrived. And he's going to go into, into Robin's room and he has a sling for his arm and mm-hmm. some fresh bruises on his face. And, even, yep. and like you were saying, I was like, okay, like, yeah, Simon manhandled him, but it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like the bruises look appropriate. The sling, it's like, yeah. wait, did he break his arm? Did he kick him there? Like, it, it really forces you to reflect on how much did we actually see? Was there something that we missed? The film does a good job of doing that kind of stuff. Back at the Callum house, Simon takes out the car, the camera's gift. It's a monkey and a baby stroller. The trigger of Simon's fear of Of course it is. Inside, it reads a gift with a smiley face. Mm-hmm. And, and so the first one, and so they're all like Marcus numbers, like one, two, three, and so. Yep. And so. Very important. The first gift is a baby carrier. Inside are three gifts. And then the one, uh, Simon opens the one, Mark number one first. 
as a spare key to go to the front door. So now we're like, okay, yeah. that's how Grotto was able to break in. Tip number two is a CD that reads Flamey. It's a recording of Simon and Robin's talk in the house when Grotto has been left alone. Mm-hmm. So now it, 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 we're forced to reflect on that whole conversation and just be like, oh, Grotto yeah. was able to hear all of this. Oh, crap. We should also note that after everything that we learned of Simon, we started, or at least I did, I started to feel bad for Gordo. Like, oh, you know, maybe we did misjudge him. Like, we spent the entire first, like, yeah. 45 minutes of this movie thinking he was a psycho, he was dangerous, he was in the wrong, and I really come around and feel bad for him because of what Simon has done. So Simon becomes the villain, and now with this, like, as soon as we see the key and realize it unlocks that door, I'm like, oh, no, I don't think Gordo's good after all. Like, all of the pity, all the all the badness I felt for him, I, I think I was wrong. I think they're both bad. <laughs> yeah, all that pity that you're feeling, like, when you're in Robin's position. Mm-hmm. And then I do I do love how, how it gets, the conversation, the recording gets cut off by Apocalypse Now. Uh-huh. Dramatic as a Valkyrie, yeah. and the helicopters. <laughs> so fucking dramatic. Then Simon opens up gift number three, a DVD that we used to watch mm-hmm. me with a smiley face. So many smiley faces. Oh boy. Here we go. Here we go. And so the video, it opens up with video of Simon and Robin having dinner. And I think it might be, it might have been a dinner that we witnessed before. Like the one we were having with our friends and neighbors earlier on. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I think so. Yeah, I think this is all scenes that we've seen before, but from like an outside perspective. Like you were hiding in the lawn, videotaping this through the windows. And then the video cuts to Robin fainting. Obviously, it is Gordo, but he doesn't show himself. He wiggles with a Gatorade bottle in front of the camera. He turns the camera around to show he's wearing this huge monkey mask. And it gave me yeah. it gave me Peach Buzz vibes, I gotta say. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then the video... So the way it happens is that Gordo, he's like, he kind of, he's kind of groping Robin's body as, you know, as he's unconscious. And mm-hmm. he gets like a shot of the mirror. And as he's like crouching over her, it's really disturbing. And then the camera... Really disturbing. And then he puts the camera down and the video just stops. That's when the reveal is like, oh crap, did he rape her? And it's baby Gordo's. Is his. Yeah. And I know I I saw quite a few female reviewers take a lot of issue with this because kind of like what you were saying, Arthur, you know, we start off following this woman. She seems very strong, empowered. She's eventually revealed to be completely gaslit by her shitty husband. And then by this point, you start to realize, oh, she's like a plaything caught between two men's narratives. Exactly. It takes away her agency. She has been sexually assaulted. It takes away her agency and uh, at, at the end. Yeah. So I did see a bunch of people saying, you know, like, this is really triggering. You wouldn't really know to expect it. So like, even like, if you go back to read reviews at the beginning, people don't talk about it because it's the twist at the end of the movie. So a lot of people walk in, they're very unprepared for this sequence. Yeah. And the film is ambiguous. Like, we don't know that he actually raped her. We don't see anything apart from this groping, which is icky yeah. and obviously invasive. But at the same time, you know, like there's two different readings. You can either read it that Gordo is fucking with Simon or that he did actually sexually assault this this unconscious woman. And you're like, yeah. both of these narratives are not good for Robin. 
So then Simon, he is and panicking now, so he rushes to the hospital. I would say mm-hmm. when I when I saw this for the first time, I was like, oh wait, is Simon Simon gonna get in a car accident because he is just driving so damn fast. hundred <gasps> percent. So dangerously. Yeah. I I totally was like, oh wow, we're really into thriller territory. Like we're doing a car chase now. <laughs> but by the time he gets to Robin's hospital room, she is gone. And I will say also, there was like a couple scenes where like it, it would cut back and forth between Simon at home and then Gordo talking to Robin at the yep. hospital. And there was a scene where Gordo was like, Simon just went crazy. And again, being like, yeah, Simon just, you know, beat me up. And definitely helping Robin lean more towards the side of, oh, I'm glad I'm leaving Simon. Right. Yeah. Then Simon just misses Gordo as he goes into the elevator and Gordo is able to leave. And- <laughs> And in, even like when Gordo's in the elevator, he just like, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a smirk on his face, you know, as he's watching, like, oh, Simon for sure. just miss uh-huh. him, like, you know, ah, just can't get through the door. Like, I got you right where I want you. I'm totally fucking with you right now. Simon is just running around the hospital in search of him, and then Gordo calls Simon, and he makes a helicopter noise. <laughs> <laughs> And this is when he brings back Simon's line. I've been being like, oh, don't interrupt me. If you don't mind, I'm just going to power through this and you can talk it out, okay? Yep. So the way that he plays around with Simon here, as you were saying before, of being like, you know, you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't touch her. I didn't touch her. Or maybe I did. Mm-hmm. You know, a liar won't believe anybody else. You know, who knows? Maybe I did touch her. Maybe I didn't. Yep. And also, Gordo says, take a look at the, ba- at the baby. It's all in the eyes. Because, and actually, Joe Edgerton actually wore contacts. He, he wore brown oh, contacts. Oh, did he? He wore brown contact lenses to have the same eye color as the baby. In real life, Joe Edgerton has blue eyes. And he also, he also dyed... Yes, that's not how genetics work. <laughs> he, he also dyed his hair, his hair as well. Because, I guess, like... Yeah. The color to make it a little more unsettling, the hair color. Uh huh. Because it doesn't look quite natural. Even yeah. like the cut itself. Like sometimes it looks like a really bad haircut. Sometimes it looks like a wig. So it, I think it's all in design of making. Uh, yeah, we're just meant to look at Gordo as a bit of a, a shifty, unsavorable character. Yeah. Someone who's kind of like you know suspicious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And Gordo says, "You see what happens when you poison other people's minds with ideas." And this is mm-hmm. this is revenge for what Simon did. Like Simon did the exact same same thing, and now Gordo is doing yep. it back to him. And Simon will just be left with this toxic concept in his head of like, did mm-hmm. Gordo rape my wife? Did he not? Right. Is the baby is that actually his? my baby? I saw a bunch of people complain that this movie doesn't understand. I mean, I made a joke that the movie doesn't understand how genetics work because of the <laughs> eyes. But, you know, I, I saw some people say, oh, this twist is so ludicrous. I think the same people who said, oh, it's like a soap opera, because obviously Simon could just get a paternity test. And I'm like, yeah, but that defeats the point because he's meant to wonder. And then he's too proud to ask something like that. Yeah, right. Oh, like he would never yeah. want to actually have to confess to his exactly. ex-wife or, or separated wife that that's what happened to her because that's what he would have to do to get a paternity test. Exactly, okay. And I would admit, when I first saw this movie, there was a moment where I was like, okay, wait, to get a paternity test. I would admit, I did think that. Then right. I was like, okay, wait, Simon would never do that, as you were saying. He's just so He'll damn arrogant. And he's like, yeah. he needs control over everything. Mm-hmm. If he gets a paternity test, it will signal 
loss of that yeah. control he, and his mind. Exactly. It's almost more satisfying. Like if you can get away from the fact that Robin has gotten out horribly from all of this, it is really satisfying to know that Simon will never get that paternity test, but it will eat him alive and he will wonder about it every time he sees this child. Yes. Then Simon goes back inside the hospital. He looks through the window at Robin and the baby and tries to Rebecca Hall, who again, just a fantastic performance, but I feel like she communicates so much mm-hmm. heartbreak in the days oh, yeah. that she sends him. But also kind of satisfaction, like as that nurse is closing yeah. yes. the, the blinds so that she gets cut off, you're just like, yeah, you feel like Robin is finally free and she's a little bit happy about it. Yeah, I, I can see that too as well. And then yeah, the curtain is just closed, literally and figuratively, shutting out Simon. Mm-hmm. Your marriage is done, sir. And your career. And your career. You've got nothing. And then Gordo is back inside the hospital. He's just looking through the window and the door down the hallway at Simon. Mm-hmm. And then fully fucking Kaiser Soze's out of this movie. <laughs> yep. Remove the sling and just walks down into the background. And when I first saw that, I was like... I wasn't expecting that. I thought that was such a mm-hmm. shilling way to end the movie. I, right. I love how he just walked away, just scores, just kind of like amps up a bit here as he takes off his sling, mm-hmm. and then the movie is over. We're done. The end. It is very well done. You know, you look back on a lot of this and you think, okay, it was so craftily laid out. Like, nearly everything in this movie is foreshadowing or giving you some kind of necessary exposition. Like it is a very, very well-crafted script. And then I think Joel Edgerton does a great job of directing it. But these little moments where you're like, it feels like you are acknowledging the, the thriller films that came before it. Like this is so obviously usual suspects and yet it still plays in a very satisfying way. Yes. Uh, So yeah, that is a gift, which again, Mm -hmm. I've said this before, a memorable movie. I yeah. keep saying it's going to stick with me for a while. I do want to add just a bit of trivia that Josh, that Joel Edgerton's brother, uh, Nash Edgerton, had actually a good role in the movie. As someone named Frank Dale, which I got to be honest, I don't remember who Frank Dale is. I don't remember. But apparently Nash Edgerton played him. He was also the film's stunt coordinator. Oh, okay. That's fun. And as a stuntman, he's also worked on movies like The Matrix Trilogy, The Sin Red Line, Superman Returns, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, as a stunt double for Ewan McGregor. Oh, okay. And it's funny because Will Edgerton, of course, was in the was in the prequel trilogy as Owen Laws. Oh my god. <laughs> Get out of here, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. And it was it, it was nice to see also Joel Edgerton return and the Obi Wan Kenobi series as well on Disney Plus. Oh, I think I I didn't finish it because I was a little like dissatisfied with it, but <laughs> um... understandable. <laughs> not not one of the better Star Wars series. You know, you've got you've got Andor, you've got the Mandalorian, and then the other shows like uh-huh. Book of Fett and Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi. Yeah, I'm watching it indoor right now, and it's really good. I'm very... It is. I'm, I am shocked, honestly, that it turned out like this, because I was not into Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I found Rogue One to be so d- damn dull. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll confess, I waited until it was basically over, and everybody said, oh, okay, that turned out so much better than I expected. So I said, oh, okay, now I'll jump in. I'll, I'll give Tony uh, Gilroy a try. I believe in him, yeah. so... 
Yeah, it's really good. I can't I can't speak for, for, for Clone Wars though because I haven't seen Clone Wars, but I've heard some pretty good things. About I it. haven't either. No. Yeah, I think the people who like it like it a lot, but it's a much smaller fan base. Okay. Yeah. Mandalorian season three. I can't wait for that to come. Excited for that. There we go. Right. Well, the gift. Yay! Do you have any more thoughts to offer? Yay! On this, on the this gift. Movie? This. What a lovely end of year treat this was for us to watch. Something super grim and dark and maybe a little rapey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, again, it's gonna, it, 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 I keep saying this over and over again. You know, maybe I'm getting repetitive, but it's going to stick with me for a while. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, if we don't have any more talks off on it, if we can segue on over to Good Word. This is a segment where each of us gets to recommend something, a book, movie, TV show, a podcast, music, whatever you want. So, Joe, what is your good word? Yep, so I'm going to use my platform to raise the uh, awareness of a Toronto trio. It's a podcast called Talk Movie to Me, and it is done by Edison, Helen, and Miss Sinclair. They have a couple of different formats, like sometimes they double bill movies, sometimes they will do like an Oscar preview, they just dropped a holiday episode in time for uh, Christmas, but they just have like really good banter and I enjoy their their take on movies. It's a shorter podcast as well, because I mean, I know you and I, uh, Arthur, we both have like deep dives into a single film like we really go into it and this one's a little bit more like they're going to get through two movies in about 45 minutes so if you're looking for something a little bit shorter snappy good banter and it it has that kind of quintessential podcast vibe where you feel like you're just hanging out with friends so talk movie to me that's good you know i do i I do appreciate that like podcasts that do like can't keep those run times title like that because like Mm -hmm. i'm guessing a little shorter (laughs) I've, I've settled into, you and I are like two hours. <laughs> I've settled into the my format for Two Sense Critic. And yes. I, yeah. honestly, like, even at this point, like this is going to be one of the shorter episodes of the podcast. But mm-hmm. I've done episodes that can go on to maybe like, I'll be honest, like maybe two, two and a half hours or three yep. hours. Even like uh-huh. everything I've all, all at once, for example, was almost three hours. Oh, but there's so much to talk about in that movie. True, true. The gift is, I feel, the gift is more of a smaller movie. I feel like so it's easier to process mm-hmm. it. Even though, like, and no shade to it. Like it's very, it is like it's it's detailed. But even though, like, we, we, it's economical. Exactly, it, it is pretty tight. So that's why we're able to talk about mm-hmm. it, you know, more quickly than something like everything I've all at once, which is much longer. Or yeah. the power of the dog. That podcast went for over three hours. Oh boy. There's a lot going on. I mean, those are Oscar movies too, right? Like, not to, again, not to diminish anything that a genre film is doing, but yeah, like the intention of this movie is very much, you know, we want to get in, we want to upset you, we want to make you reconsider the way that you approach some of these characters. And like, we could have gone into some of the ways that Edgerton shoots this film. I think that it's the kind of film where you you watch it and you can just appreciate his sense of style and the way that he's using the camera like can we go into it more sure but do we need to go watch the film yeah yeah exactly but so yeah going back to my original point you know i have a i have a longer runtime here for my show but for the podcast Mm -hmm. you know i can appreciate something that's more shorter you know i like that as well Mm -hmm. (gasps) all right so you've given your good word now mine is gonna be a, a like science fiction, I guess you call it. Like, yes, sci-fi, romance, mm-hmm. novel, 
on This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amel Almada and Max Gladstone. I recently read this for a book club that I'm a part of on Discord. And it's uh, basically, it, it, it's kind of complicated, but to break the premise down, it's about like these two agents who are kind of like fighting for these kind of like warring agencies, I think, like government factions or something like that. Okay. And these two factions are engaged in this kind of like war across space and time and changing the timeline. Hmm. And so they're always trying to okay. like one off each other. And the two operatives, the two leads of the book, who are known by the code names Red and Blue, end up falling into kind of like a strange rivalry that ends up turning into a romance as they exchange. Of course. <laughs> yeah, as they exchange letters, and it's so it's basically an epistolary novel as they're exchanging these letters. Uh, okay. Not a te- not your typical letters though. They're like other ty- types of letters. I won't spoil, but it, it's interesting how they communicate. Hmm. I just really got, got into it and just like ways, you know, science fiction. And I also think it's a good representation as like, you know, being a queer romance because it's like a, a sapphic romance. And I will say, like, the, the prose is challenging. I will just warn people okay. about that. Like, even when I was getting into it, just reading the first chapter, I was like, oh, so we're using this prose. It's very like minimalist prose. Okay. That kind of like, it takes, it takes brain power to. Uh, you know, pay attention to, you know, you can't just like mm-hmm. breeze through this. You gotta, you, right. You gotta concentrate <laughs> on it. But it is like, it is f- pretty compelling. I really like the chemistry between the two leads who really like are not together, like in person. Again, it's, they're just communicating right. through these letters, but there's just so much like banter that they share as they start to warm up to each other in red and blue. And it's honestly like, it, it gets pretty hmm. cute in certain moments. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a. Well, that sounds intriguing. It is, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely one of the more I feel like unconventional books. I would say I feel like that's the proper word for it. So, yeah, I recommend it. Uh, this is how you lose the time war. I would say I also don't completely understand everything that happened in the book. It's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> you know what? I enjoy it, but I don't fully comprehend mm-hmm. any, everything. It's kind of like Mulholland Drive. I saw sure. it recently for the first time, and I'm like, I love this, but I don't fully understand everything right <laughs> maybe i'll know you know when i reprocess it oh no i'll, I'll, I'll get mm. more of it so again that's my that's my good word this is how you lose the time more ah wow can be given our good words now and though thank you so much once again for coming on here this was such a blast to discuss to get with you it's been on my docket for a while now we've discussed it and now you get to promote yourself promote your podcast your socials all of that all right. Well, thank you, first off, for inviting me on. It was a pleasure. And it was, I mean, I love doing guest spots because it just gives me an excuse to watch something else and connect with somebody. So it was great to have a conversation with you about this movie I honestly had not thought of in years. So thank you so much. Yeah. yeah so if folks want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at B Still My Remote on pretty much any social platform. And then I do have a many, many, many podcasts. So uh, the one most people know me for is Horror Queers, which comes out every Wednesday with my co-host Trace Thurman, and that's at Horror Queers. And then I also have a YA adaptation podcast with my uh, co-host Brenna Clark Gray, and that comes out every Tuesday, and that's at HKHS Pod, Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. 
channels for splendid podcasts. <laughs> As for my socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at T underscore sense critic. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter, Good Pods, Graph, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Arthur underscore S18. You can find me on Goodreads at Arthur Howell. If you want to email me, you can reach me at email at critic at yahoo.com. You can also check out my blog at critic.com And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, Good Pods, all of those services. Make sure you rate and review especially because it really helps with uh, the algorithm, you know. You'd be shocked to find out, like, oh, the stars really do get more, you know, it helps get more attention to the podcasters, you know, we tiny little podcasters mm-hmm. who just need more listeners. Truly, yeah. And thank you once again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks again. And until next time, stay healthy, stay strong.